Laura Sedol is one of those unique athletes, one who's gone and had an age group career and then converted that into a professional career. More importantly, it's a successful professional career. She's winning Ironman races and now has a lock on Ironman Australia with a number of wins there as well. That's uh, pretty impressive. She's also got a really good handle on the world of triathlon with her roles as board member at the PTO and also just her corporate background as well. She's a great person to talk to. So let's have a chat to Laura Sedell. Laura, uh, I'm really interested in a number of things that you've been up to. This is going to take us a while to unpack. Welcome and, and, and happy to be talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Good to uh, chat. It's been a, been a few years, but good to connect again. Yes, I've been hiding under a rather, rather large <laughs> rock. Um, I always feel, because I'm recording this at night, I always, I always like to sit here and have a couple of beers while I talk to my guests, so um, I well, can start t- early. Technically, it's after midday, so I could quite happily be here with a wine or a gin and tonic myself. <laughs> it's uh, it's oh. been odd. It's been odd times. I think I've drunk more and eaten more chocolate in the last six months than uh, ever before. I've been the bad influence on my. I'm staying with my sister at the moment and her family, which I'm super grateful for. And I think they thought I was, I was going to arrive and be this really super healthy, positive influence on her and her husband and the kids. And I've been the one that gets to the end of the day and I'm like. Should we have a glass of wine? Should we have a gin and tonic? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could quite easily crush either. Um, it, it's isn't it like the COVID? People talk about the COVID pounds they've put on, but also just the habits that they've got into. I mean, the COVID alcohol has been prodigious <laughs> in some necks of the woods. It's just people have loved it. Have you? Are you one of those athletes that are you know the old Dave Scott adage used to wash his cottage cheese and all that? How strict are you on all that? Um, uh, yes and no. And I, I definitely in the last, so normally, I mean, normally I'm living on my own and in various places around the world. So it's not quite the same to open a bottle of wine at the end of the day and have a glass of wine on your own. Um, and also just because you're in more of a, uh, training and there's races coming up. And so I'm a, probably a little bit more careful of what I, I, I'm, I, I kind of follow everything in moderation diet. I don't, kind of tend to restrict too much or try not to but I try and eat sort of fairly healthy balanced most of the time however um I do have a weakness for chocolate and also like the past few months just with knowing that it's a completely different um situation there's probably no races on and the fact you know I I hope in the best way possible we never have to go through this again so I'm allowing myself that little bit of um indulgence I guess if you want to call it and going yeah if it's a Wednesday night and I get to the end of the day and I want a glass of wine I'll have it you know and even if I have got a harder session the next day I mean I'm not going to go stupid or anything like that um but normally you know you get to a Friday and it's like cool we're going to have pizza and a wine or a gin and tonic and Saturday and I'll allow myself to do that whereas probably if it was in a normal a normal what we what we used to know as a normal year um I wouldn't I wouldn't restrict myself, but I probably wouldn't just, you know, when you're on your own, it's not quite the same. <laughs> yeah. Is there a degree? There's a degree though. There's a degree in, in all athletes, I think around the world, not just triathletes. There seems to be a degree of this sort of preservation. 
um, at the moment because obviously where we where we're situated, um, some sports are starting to sort of wind their way back a little bit, and we can start to see that. And it's you know it, it's great. I mean, you, you kind of forget, don't you, how much we need sport. How yeah. sport is a is a is an equalizer for conversation for our mental health for just an outlet. I mean, have you become more aware of that? Um, oh, I mean, definitely. I, I've always been very adamant about the power of sport on mental and physical well-being and just the community aspect that it brings so many people together um I mean I can't it's weird I I don't really watch much tv and particularly sort of at home the tv's taken up with my nephew playing um uh, Fortnite and Minecraft and yes. that sort of thing. Um, he was the one who shot me later. He, he, your <laughs> nephew it. probably shot me earlier this morning. Yeah. He's an absolute weapon. He's an absolute weapon on it. But um, <laughs> it was uh, last. I think it was last weekend, and I happened to be at home, and my sister and family had gone out for the day, and I had I did have the TV on, and they were playing recaps of London 2012 because, of course, we should at this point be going into Tokyo. Um, and I just, I mean, now talking about, I just had goosebumps and watching it and yeah, okay, it was London and it was 2012 and it was Special Olympics for the for the British, but just that, I was just enthralled at the sport and the stories and going, yes, I actually miss this and should we have be, just been playing replays of, I, I think we should have just been bombarding the world with replays of triathlon to get it out there. You know, there's suddenly been this, a lot of people have suddenly, you know, they've been digging out their bikes from garages and they've been starting running it because it's the only thing people have been able to do. And it's kind of like, okay, how do we capture those to say there's a broader world, not just for watching sport and being involved and supporting it, but actually you could be, you could be part of it as well. Um, mm. So yeah, the definite, I think, and now we see sport starting to come back and for, for a lot of people it is, it's, you know, you look at the, especially in the UK, you look at the the fan base around football and the English Premier League and and cricket in the summer and things like that. And it's huge. And for a lot of people, they that's their life. And they had that completely taken away. And I think with everything else, you know, of people being furloughed and losing jobs and just this unknown of what was going on and what you could and couldn't do, often there's that levelling of sport and that just like, solid not like grounding when you know mm. that it's happening yeah mm. and i think that's i think that's a, i mean here in australia where where yeah well my state's actually going through some pretty yeah. awesomely shit stuff at the <laughs> moment it's no fun at all um you know cases are up and all that kind of stuff but there is a the local footy competition football competition is running and they're doing 20 like 20 games in 20 days or something like that and it's just it gives that outlet it gives people an opportunity to talk about something other than a covid number which yeah. we seem to be obsessed about at the moment and with good reason too I'm not diminishing it by any stretch um but it the, does get the, it does get like all encompassing and again I like yeah. you I'm not diminishing the severity and how awful it's been for and so many people have been affected personally but it like I just I just had to switch off the news because when we when the UK was going through sort of their worst times it was just bombarding and 
it just made everything overwhelming and you almost wanted that escapism of I think that's probably you know why why we all did turn like go for a drink or alcohol or whatever it was but yeah you know you you want that and I think sport has that power to just switch your mind off into another place yeah and it, it, it yeah it certainly does and what was watching the 2012 sorry 20 yeah 2012 12 Olympics what was your favorite part? about it what did you watch that you decided that wow this was amazing and if you weren't doing another sport like if you weren't involved in triathlon as heavily as you are up to your neck what other sport outside of netball because no one knows what netball is in North America yeah um what would you look at doing well I actually grew up doing athletics as well so I was a track runner so I when I grew up doing um, sort of 300 meter hurdles as a junior and 400 meter hurdles and 400 and 800s. Um, and it, funny, as an aside, I used to think a half hour run was a long run and I used to dread it every week. And now it's like, oh, I've only got a half hour run. That's just like a, a shakeout run, isn't it? Um, yeah. So, yeah. And when I was growing up, it was the era. Now I'm talking, obviously, British athletes. It was Denise Lewis, Sally Gunnell, Kelly Holmes, Linford Christie, Roger Black. It was mm-hmm. this these iconic um athletes in British sport that I was looking up to so yes if I I was watching the Olympics last weekend it was bringing back memories I was fortunate enough to be there in London so I had tickets to a lot of the events some of those were the ones that they were doing replaying on this sort of highlights package and to be honest I loved watching all of it because they were telling the stories behind the athletes so they weren't just saying they weren't just showing the race and the results they were telling you about what the athlete had been through over the past few years to get there. And they were showing the emotion around whether it was a win or whether it was that fourth place or just, you know, just missing out and all of that. Um, so it, it was all of that. And again, I've got goosebumps again. I mean, there's something about the Olympics that just is so, I just think it's so special and so unique and it kind of culminates what sport is for me. Could, um, could there be though an athlete, could they look at an athlete though that, can we just see a story one time where we see an athlete who's loaded, his parents are loaded, <laughs> who has struggled not one bit, has all the talent in the world and just cruise through qualifying and just, can we just find one of those stories and just yeah. go, yeah, he just, everyone was crap next to him and he just decided that or she, that this was going to be it. And yeah, loaded to the gills with money, no problem and and got through. Well, I want to see one of those stories. Do you stories. know what? I, I'm sure. Sh- I'm sure there are plenty of those stories. I'm really, I'm really sure they are. And in fact, I kind of, I'm trying to, while you're saying that, I'm like, yeah, that rings a bell with so many athletes, but I just can't think of their names. But I think, you know, they obviously just want to, they want to pick those adversity stories of feel good or try and relate it to most of us. But yeah, it would be quite funny to go, actually, yeah, this was just really easy and everyone else was, they're just not as good as me. And I've had all this and handed, handed to me on a plate from day one. <laughs> That's right. I did nothing to earn this. I just ran. It was easy. And yeah, then, yeah I want to see that. The, the, the diversity though of when you watch an Olympics, how quick does it take for you to become an expert? Because I know everything within <laughs> half an hour of watching any sport. <laughs> Um, even, even Winter Olympics, you're sitting there watching the ice skating going, ah, oh, Triple Axel, like, come on, man, you got to stick it. You know, like, what do you know? Well, I must say, I was, wa- I, was watching, I was watching some of the gymnastics, which half the time I watch it, even though it was funny, like, you're watching the recaps, you know the result, you know what happens, and I'm still watching it through, like, 
my hands are over my eyes because I'm so worried that they're going to like a foot's going to slip on the bar or, you know, on the beam or they're going to do the the um, vault and it's just going to all land horribly. Or they did a bit of the diving and that just scares the bejesus out of me. Um, mm-hmm. Like the 10 meter board and I'm like, oh, they're going to hit their head. And like, you're kind of watching it through, um, yeah, through closed eyes and stuff. But um, yeah, we, um, I can recall, I don't want to say the 19, was it Barcelona 92? That was. Yeah, that was the first 92. Olympics I really remember. Yeah, that was Amigos Parasempre. Um, I remember the song too. Yes, um, Barcelona. Freddie <laughs> Freddie Mercury and uh, and I put it on Instagram the other week and I can't remember who. And I listened yeah, to the song terrible. and downloaded it again. <laughs> it's just great. Um, but I remember the um, I remember watching Matthew Ryan. Now this is for Australians who would know this of my vintage, and I'm 47, so you'd be probably around about the mark there. Um, the older gen- older set, not you yourself, Laura, for sure. But I remember watching Matthew Ryan and Kiba TikTok was the horse that he rode in the final uh, where he was doing the jumps. Yeah, and we were all experts, and we yeah. were. I think we'd been drinking fairly heavily that night, watching this and cheering on this bloody horse which and and this guy who we had no idea about and the emotion when he got up and won the gold medal for equestrian yeah i was up dancing about equestrian i mean good look this is will tell you a little bit of insight into the australian culture how we get that excited <laughs> i do agree i do think the olympics is special it is such a shame albeit you know where the world is that it it, it you know it may and it may not i mean it may not yeah. occur next year um next year I think yeah. it has a year, don't they, before they say, well, it's done. We're moving on to, I think, Paris is the next one. Yeah, and, you know, there's been a lot of articles come out recently about whether the Japanese actually want, you know, as a, as a nation, do they want people coming? And then I read, I saw mm-hmm. some articles today that came out, talked about, you know, would it, are they going to do it behind closed doors? But then it was kind of like, but that's not what make, you know, the Olympics is about yeah. the spectators and the people. You know, I just being a fan from growing up. And like I said, Barcelona was probably like the first Olympics that I kind of really remember as a kid. And then I was always adamant I wanted to go. And I was lucky enough to work as a volunteer in Athens at the Olympics at the hockey stadium, which was amazing. And then had loads of tickets to go and see stuff. And then I went to Beijing in 2008. And that was actually the first time I ever saw triathlon or ever kind of really, yeah, knew what triathlon was about. Um, And then was able to go to london as well and yeah it's that's what the olympics so you're quite the, you're quite the traveler for the olympics you're quite not oh, you're not just yeah. a, you're not like just me sitting on the couch keep no, a tiktok I... style going go you good <laughs> thing you're right in there oh i love it yeah um i'd have loved to have obviously well we'll see what happens but you know if i can it's it's a bit different now with with my own career as an athlete because you kind of got to balance you can't just sort of it was okay you know, Athens, I'd just finished university. So it was at the start of a trip of traveling around Europe. Um, Beijing was, I'd just moved to Australia and started the corporate world or just not started. I was several years into the corporate world, but just moved to Australia with a job. And so I could take holiday and leave. Um, and a bit the same with London, you know, I wasn't going to miss out on going back to a home games. Um, unfortunately, Rio was then kind of when I was in in my own athletic career, so it was a bit harder to to get mm. over. Um, so I then be, very much become yeah the arm the armchair critic or fan <laughs> at that point. 
when when you spot um when you spot the like triathlon for the first time and you know your traditional sort of netball athletics style of background what are you, what are you seeing like when you see it you like what what is this and and then what's the reaction i mean clearly it's stuck but what how did yeah. what was that it, first look yeah it was funny so when i was at university and i was playing netball and doing athletics at the time and one of the netball one of the girls on our university netball team said she did this triathlon and i i didn't really you know i was like okay what's that she's and you know i was like why would you want to do three sports you know i was a runner as well at that point i was like i just want to run and do athletics why would you want to kind of swim and bike so that that was kind of I had heard of it but then yeah when I I mean moving to Australia again even in the first year of being in Australia I was still sort of trying to get to start my keep my running going and I was training out at um, Homebush and trying to find a squad out there where the obviously the Sydney Olympic Stadium is um, and then yeah went to the Olympics and I only got a ticket to the triathlon by kind of pure chance it was Hmm. not it was not one of the tickets I had originally before I was going out there um I yeah happened you know as you do they're selling them on the street so to speak and you hope that it's yeah. a, you hope that it's a legit ticket and I was just keen to get any like you know any tickets to any event I could and picked up this triathlon ticket and went out and watched the men and it was that sort of first first viewing of Alistair Brownlee at the front of this race going oh my god there's a British person at the front of a race in the Olympics what the hell is going on you know this is just unheard of we don't win medals we don't do it we don't do very well and obviously then he died and it was like oh yeah that's typical but you know I was listening to a you know a few interviews with Jan Fredino it's like it was the start it was the first warning signs of things to come for the Brownleys um but I mean I would just I just loved it as it was just a sport and it was the Olympics and it was just this fascinating. I was in this, there was an amazing venue in Beijing. Um, and funnily enough, it Beijing, that Olympic venue was then when I, I went back there as an age grouper for the ITU age group world champs. And that was my mm-hmm. first, that was the first world title as an amateur. I won back in Beijing on that Olympic, on that Olympic course where I'd sort of had my first, first viewing of triathlon it was weird I like I saw it at the Olympics and I came back to Australia and it probably still was it wasn't that I came back and went oh I got to get into this triathlon you know at that point I was still thinking about the running um it was actually then through friends from work who were doing a charity bike ride the Sydney Sydney Wollongong um mm-hmm. bike ride and they said oh you know you you just they knew I was sporty so it's like well you should come along and join us it's good fun we cycle down the coast we get the train back and I said oh, I don't have a bike they said oh well it's you know easy enough so I bought a bike and it was one of these sort of hybrid you know flat bar uh road mm, road, road, nice. road mountain bikes I guess I, I didn't have a clue yep. flat pedals yep. um pretty sure I did the event just in you know t-shirts and t-shirt and short no no cycling kit kind of thing um, yeah. and yeah just loved it it was great fun and it was really through friends from work at, after that ride so that was the October of 2008 really um mm. that friends said hey you should you should have a look you know you should give this you should have a look at triathlon if you're thinking about wanting to do something um and living in Sydney I, I went on the internet and looked for like beginners courses and found a, a group called Bondi Fit run by the infamous Spot Anderson um and ah. they, yeah and they actually had yeah exactly um they had like a beginners a six-week beginners course in start sort of starting in January so I was like right I'll sign up for that and it finished with 
a race at Kernel, which, you know, the, yep. the Kernel Olympics, as we used to call it, but it was a sprint yep. distance race. And um, yeah, that was kind of how I, how I then got into it. So I, I guess I'd suddenly been aware from seeing it at the Olympics, but it wasn't probably for a few months down the line and through doing things through friends from work that um, I actually, I, I, and I think, you know, being, being an Australian, I think if I'd have come back to the UK after that, seeing it at the Olympics, I probably would have still been doing running and netball maybe and you know doing the desk job um but I think being in Australia it's such triathlon such a big part of life over there really um you know it's what everyone does at the weekend sort of thing you know (laughs) there's such a big yeah such a big lifestyle for everybody yeah it's not hard to find like-minded people um in this neck of the woods who who like to swim bike and run spotty Anderson though I mean (laughs) Oof, there's a there's a there's a study in a range of different things. I mean, for those of you who don't know who John Spot Anderson is, he was the triathlete of the year. Now I'm going to cast my mind back, and I want to say '89 in Australia he might have been, but he was a yep. sublimely gifted oh, uh, gentleman. Mm. Yeah, and I can remember being at a World Titles up on the Gold Coast up there doing my magazine back in the early days and running into him and my goodness wow what a what a unit he is um what was he like to be working with um (laughs) he's look I mean we had a great four or five years it you know obviously I was coming into the sport as a complete beginner but I think just everything he had to offer um you know it wasn't as such a triathlon club it was very much that training group and he we would have sessions every morning every night and stuff which just fed to my personality I guess and being overseas and and uh, getting stuck into a new sport so you could kind of pick and choose mornings and evenings there was always going to be a session there it was you know that group of people that I met through Bondi Fit at that time are still probably some of my closest friends and we still keep in touch and we whilst you know some of them are doing triathlon still some aren't some have gone back to spotty after years um I mean, he was a character, um, obviously, as we all know, he, it was kind of, there's a lot of respect and admiration. And then there's a lot of love hate with him as well for his, he's very old school. um, Yeah. You know, he would go off on rants about anything or to anybody, but this was to everybody. Like there was no real separation. You know, I remember Saturday mornings would be down at Bondi beach doing a, you know, a surf swim session and, you know, there's the old boys we used to call them, and they st- they still will be swimming every day at the moment. Like no wetsuits, they're in their sixties, seventies. Yeah. They're absolute weapons in the in the surf. And you know, he'd be having a go at them, and they'd just stand there and sort of smile and take it. And you just let Spotty go off on his rant. <laughs> um, I remember as well. Like I think we were late. I think I was. I don't think we were late to swimming. That wouldn't kind of be me, but we were swimming at the one of the pools in Sydney and. Again, we obviously didn't listen or knowing Spot, he probably didn't explain it clearly. But in his, <laughs> in his in his head, he explained it, but didn't really explain it to us. So we did this, we did whatever it was wrong, and he made us do. There was me, it was Matilda Reynolds, and I think um, Siobhan McCarthy at the time, who were kind of mm-hmm. those, those two were very much young, up and coming triathletes. I was just yep. new, new getting into it, and I think we like had to do the whole session in butterfly or something like that. And I was yeah. like. <laughs> From a, from not being a swimmer and have never been taught butterfly, I was just like, "What is this going on?" And you kind of want to throw your toys out the pram, but 
you know ultimately deep down he's got his heart's in the right place and um yeah we had a we had a good a good four years or four or five years together there's a lot of it isn't they in in australia there's a lot of it they call themselves clubs but they're just training groups aren't they they're just a lot of coaches will get together and they get a band of you know willing participants alongside of them and it seems to be that's how Australia kind of rolls where there's these groups and yeah. they all get matching kit and they get a big tent and they yeah. go down <laughs> to the to the race and they all sit around on stationary bikes prior to it just getting in the zone and just getting themselves organized it's it's quite a culture isn't it i mean and you got to be the right person to to you know immerse yourself in that because it does get as you suggest pretty involved yeah it does i mean I mean, that was the one thing that drew me a little bit to Bondi Fit as a training group rather than like the triathlon club was one that just the the number of sessions that Spot offered. It was every morning, it was every night. So, mm. you know, if you were really sucked in and addictive, like, addicted like I was, you could kind of throw yourself into every session or you just pick the ones that suited you and you had a variety of the swim, bike, run. But it was... It was very much, yeah, that community, that social group, you know, they were your friends as well. So I knew turning up at whatever, 5.30 in the morning um, for a, a swim session, even if it was in the rain or, or whatever, there would be a group there that we could have a laugh and it would make, you know, you'd work hard, but it was good fun as well. And then you have that community when you go to you go to the races and you go out for your drinks and beers afterwards and um yeah, I I loved it. Um, like I said, a lot of a lot of the people are still very close friends to me, and we keep in touch still. And you know, it's great going when I get the chance to go back to Australia and see and connect up with everybody that was kind of there when I was the the beginner on my hybrid bike trying to do Watson Bay hill repeats in Sydney and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, yeah, and I well, it's I, a fair turnaround, isn't it? I mean, it's a it's a you know, like you. You're one of these people, very few people who have managed to do this. Everyone, I, I I love, one of my favorite things about triathlon is the bullshit people talk um, <laughs> at a coffee shop or something. And my favorite comment from all the BS that's been spoken is that, oh, yeah, I could go pro if I had the time, that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, and getting to pro level is so ridiculously hard yeah. that very few people make the jump. And you're one of the few. I mean, you and... Meredith Kessler stick out for mine because you haven't just gone from amateur to pro. You've gone from amateur to pro and flourished. You haven't just sort of filled numbers. You've won races. I mean, you've won a stack of Ironman races and you're, you know, a threat anytime you get to the start line. And Meredith is the same. Um, The jump though, like for when you're standing there as a, as you know, winning age group world championships, what's the leap do you think percentage wise to get to the level of winning Ironmans and, 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 you know, talk us through that sort of sort of mentality to say, you know what, I think I think I got a shot at this without, you know, getting goaded on by your coffee shop mates yeah. who go, yeah, you can do this, you know. Yeah, so, well, I mean, firstly, thank you. I mean, it's pretty honoured to be put. It, Meredith's a good friend now, and, and we chat a lot. But even to be compared, she's to... not as nice as everyone thinks. She's, <laughs> like, oh, she's... no, she's a, a dark side. Especially. No worry about that. <laughs> but even just to be compared to. Uh, the career that she's had and the races she's won I mean her she's been just a 
yeah, definitely one. I, I mean, and I, I don't think she minds me. So I think one of the best athletes that unfortunately hasn't won Kona. And I hope that doesn't overshadow what she's done in her career because she's just been incredible. But mm. yeah, I think so. I, I probably uh, for about a year, I had a lot of people saying when I was an age grouper, like, oh, you should go pro and, and all this. And, um, you know, for me growing up, sport was very much the hobby. And it was all about your academics, getting your exams, getting the corporate career and the, the sport looked good on your CV as rounding you out as nice a nice person you know a rounded person um because you had hobbies mm. outside of work but it was never it was never seen as as a career or doing it professionally and until I came to Australia and also the other thing was at that point when everyone you know as an age group I was very much doing sprints and Olympics and mm. I was al- I was already a little bit older and so to do that professionally it was kind of like well that's just not going to work because I can't I'm not in a government um like you know I'm not in the British triathlon program of leading into the Olympics which is the distance I'm doing at the moment and my swim is just not good enough so the only way I'm going to do this is having to move up the distance which you know probably Mm. we kind of knew that was the way I was going anyway I was um you know I didn't start the sport till I was 29 years old so we're now taking this is like I'm 32 33 sort of thing um but I still didn't think, you know, I was still kind of like, I just didn't, like you said, there's such a big leap. Um, and you look at results and people look, I think people, the mistake a lot of people make is they look at your race result on paper and they compare your time to the pros on paper. And they're like, look, you beat all these pros. And I'm like, yes, but it's a completely different race. They are racing at the front with very few yeah. other people. I'm an age grouper racing in the middle of waves of athletes and it's a very different race to be to be there and it took yeah it was only when I stepped up and I did um uh, 70.3 in Honu and and won that as a won my age group in overall female but that qualified me then for Ironman 70.3 world champs which was in Las Vegas at the time in 2013 and again, yeah. I won. I won my age group and was overall female amateur winner there. Um, and I think again, I'm going to say this with a pinch of salt. I cracked. I think I was tenth or eleventh overall, including the pros. Um, but I was very aware that it was a very, you know, because during the race there'd been packs of, you know, I'd had to, I'd had to time trial myself off the front of a pack of men because I was so paranoid. I was getting swallowed and swamped up and of course they don't like a female being off the front so they're chasing you down but I literally rode the last half of that race out of fear to get away because I just thought this is my chance to win my age group and female amateur which is kind of what I wanted as an internal goal and I can't let any age group men get me done for being in a because as a female you'd get you'd get picked out for being the one that was drafting so I literally didn't you know buried myself to get off the front of this pack and stay away um but yeah that so I mean going the leap up is is huge and there was a lot of years when I first um made the transition of have I done the right thing do I belong um you know I remember some of my first few races especially when I then moved up to like the full distance you know, you, you're racing 180k and you might not see, you might see two other athletes for that whole day. Whereas, because you're in, the, you're in the, the pro field at the front, whereas as an age grouper, you're surrounded by people. Yeah. Um. You know, you, you might be all the legal distance and that's fair, but there's still this constant just 
people around and I I mean I can't I don't know what the the percentage is but yeah it's and look some you're always going to get those age group athletes that yes it's they're just super talented um normally if they're good swimmers um I think it helps because that just gives them that advantage when they move up to the pro ranks I wasn't coming from a swimming background so then it just that gap is just even bigger um and then you're sort mm. of just playing catch up so yeah um it's very different it definitely takes you got to appreciate that and then in those first few years when you've turned it just keep your head down and keep kind of that internal belief that you know half of it's about just being the best like half of it for me making that transition was like I'd played netball and athletics to sort of national level as a junior but I'd never really given it a full commitment because of the academic and corporate focus that it was kind of on that treadmill or conveyor belt and so I got to the triathlon it was like actually you have to just give this a shot just to see what you can do and just to see how good you can be if you fully commit to the sport and I mean I had I had no idea there was nothing in my head at that time about winning winning any races as a pro you know let alone winning an (laughs) I you know winning an Ironman or an iron distance race it was all just about I just want to see what I can do if I fully commit to this and not, not trying to balance it with trying to achieve in a corporate world as well i mean it's 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 a great story and it's one that doesn't happen often as i said it, it just doesn't we plenty of people have tried and 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 have come up short is there times though that when you you know early on where you just like probably should have uh <laughs> stuck to the amateur world um yeah definitely i mean i i think i had sort of some race results where I was kind of there or thereabouts, but I certainly wasn't in the, on the podium. It was kind of those fifth and sixth places or fourth and fifth and stuff like that. So you're kind of in like sniffing distance, but still the gap was just so, so big. And it was kind of that, I'm not sure whether it was, I should have stuck to the amateur world or not. It was more just that like, yeah, heck. Cause I, when I turned pro, I also kind of, I, I quit my job in Sydney. I sold everything, packed up my life and moved to the States. Um, cause I wanted, yeah, that's to, going big. Yeah. 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 I wanted to, what well, one sort of go all in, but learn from, um, be with be around other athletes who are professional, learn from them, learn from a coach who had got that experience in coaching professionals and that sort of thing. Um, but that was a huge transition for me because I you go from you know in Sydney I had my corporate job I had my corporate friends I did have some family out there so I had that social circle then I had obviously my triathlon community but it was still the hobby it was fun it was social and then suddenly I was moving to San Francisco I didn't know anyone there and all I had was triathlon I didn't have any other outlets or social networks. It was just like you were suddenly there and it was all encompassing. And there were definite times over those first few years when it's like, you know, you haven't got the support of sponsors. You are, you, you're not winning money at prize at races. Um, it's mm. ridiculously expensive to live in San Francisco when you don't earn, you're not earning much and you're just seeing your savings kind of like just hemorrhaging away. Um, yeah, and you and and for me, I was also. I think I was more worried about what other people thought, um, which is not probably the best mindset. Um, you know, just other people's comments were going, "Oh, she thought she could 
be a pro, but and she's moved across the world and she quit her corporate job, but you know, she's not really doing anything yet. And it was, like I said, just those real hard first few years of going, I could see the results were coming in training. I just couldn't get it out in a race to how we, to be, to give me that extra bit of confidence. But it was just a case of you've, I can still, I can see I'm improving in training. And that was the main thing Mm. that kind of kept me going and going, it will, at one point I'll get, a result that kind of will give me that yes this is why this is why I wanted to do it and so I'm always curious you know having watched the sport for a number of years I kind of get I kind of feel athletes are designed for certain courses and climates yep. and that kind of thing like you know watching um Crowy who was designed for all climates, let's yeah. be honest. But he <laughs> dialed in, you know, and Cam Brown dialed in New Zealand yeah. and Macca dialed in Australia for a number of years. And, um, you know, you had these these guys having these massive runs of wins, and I mean girls as well. You kind of – you've got Australia kind of worked out, Ironman Australia, Port Macquarie. Um, you've got that – I mean, obviously, you know, having spent time in the region, but – what is it about that race that you've unlocked there? Oh, um, I mean, I, I definitely, I mean, the iron, the iron distant race is a puzzle every time you race it. And I definitely wouldn't say I've unlocked it to any ex- extent, but I've been very fortunate for the last three years to have just incredible experiences and races. I think the first one, um, it, it, it was, you know, it, like I said, it had all, when I went up there the first year, it was so special to go back. I'd been overseas as a professional and going back to, to Australia and so many people came, you know, it's such a big, it, it, that race as well has such a big triathlon club community that go up there. It's the and people's race. race. It is the people's, people's race. race. Exactly. So it was so good. Cause you just saw, I, you know, spot spot came up to watch that race. Um, and then so many other friends came up from Sydney. So many club people I knew that were racing, they were racing the half or the full, so it just had this magic atmosphere of almost like that coming coming home to an extent. Um, and, you know, I'd had a lot of second places going into that race. And then there was suddenly this big opportunity in front of me. And I really had to shut that out and just go, you've, you know, it's still a long day and anything can happen. You just got to get through this race. Um, and, it, and it was just an incredible feeling to win. And I've just created... There's such a great community up there. I have a fantastic homestay. Um, the Harrises, again, their, their daughter was a, it, 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 it does triathlon. Um, they're very much involved in the race. They're on the local organ, organizing committee. They just, they welcome me as part of their family every year. Um, and just in being involved with some of the, like I go to the volunteers party and you kind of make, meet, meet and make those connections and, so then going back year after year, it just, it, I, I drive up, I, I fly over because normally I've been in New Zealand. I fly over to Sydney. I stay overnight with my friends in Sydney and I drive up to Port Macquarie the next day. And as I drive into Port Macquarie, there's just this familiarity and calming. And, mm. and I think probably as well, just the good memories. Um, and yeah, each year is different and you have to take each year as a clean, you know, it's a new race, there's new people on the start line. Um, there's always going to be different things that get thrown at you. But I think just 
I've had such great memories there. Um, I mean, the last year, uh, last year, I'm losing track of years. When are we now? 2019 was the last year I raced there. Um, and I don't, that experience I had last year, again, with the, with the people, the race I had against Caroline Stefan, um, what had happened leading into that race, it was such an emotional um emotional feeling winning I don't think I'll have another race that tops that um but yeah there's but there is you know it's I've had the same um uh, trying to think lead lead biker on the run who's been with mm-hmm. me every year and she I know where she'll be on one of the aid stations on the bike and then she leaves that to get to the run and be be the lead biker. And, you know, last year it was kind of like, oh, I'm not sure this is going to last very long. And then we got, you know, <laughs> but it was in the end. And so I've made great friendships like that. And Pam Green, who's a local legend up there, and unfortunately her her husband died in the swim um, several years ago. But, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the rock wall. And it's those iconic things about, going back to you know it's exciting to go to new races it, it is and it, that's one of the things that's great about the job and I know I'm fortunate about that I can travel and explore all these new places and cool races but there's some of the races that are just special and you just want to go back there every year because of the people and yeah yeah you know, well if, you've got it dialed in yeah I mean yeah if you look at the course <laughs> the course probably plays to my strengths a little bit it's it's hard it's it tires you down the roads are bumpy it's hilly um you know the run course is not easy it's got the hill so it's kind of more of a almost can be like a war of attrition to some to some Mm. extent and that probably plays to my to my strengths of who I am as an athlete um and it I mean the 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 coaching side of it coming in and and getting off the the spot train onto the you know the Julie Dibbins train she's an interesting individual um super fish oh. in the water yes um and you know i i god i i can i can remember interviewing her at the k the case with trek training camp in kona one year yeah um that's how that's the last time we had a meaningful conversation um but always the way she presented herself and and raced and stuff she was a you know class act how's that been that the obviously the coach plays a huge part um is it hard to pick one like like what do you do like do you do you hunt around do you get recommended do you sit down yeah. and, and and without mentioning names obviously let's keep this nice yeah. um you know if there's coaches you sat down with and just gone no 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 <laughs> not doing that yeah so Look, I started working with Matt Dixon originally when I turned pro and that's when I moved to, and that's why I moved to San Francisco. And, you know, we did, I'm hugely grateful for Matt because he brought me from that age group and age group mentality up to, you know, being competitive at a pro level. But, you know, we'd been together four or five years and because I was then at, living in New Zealand and Spain and weren't really having the face-to-face contact. And I, I think we, you know, we just, it was a mutual agreement that it was time to, to move on and to better things. And yeah, I, you start looking around um, you do look at other coaches, you try and speak to people and, and find out. And Julie just stood out for me with, um, 
I think there's obviously a thing about being British, but she still lives in America. Um, her personality, the style of her coaching, um, quite a few people had recommended and said that they thought would be a good match. She very fortunately gave me some time in Kona um, last year to to sit down and have a chat when, you know, she was fully um, busy with her own athletes who were racing. Um and I think also the thing that appealed, she had a, a squad environment, albeit in Boulder, and of course, again, I wasn't there. Um, mm. The thing that I've noticed like this last year, so we've been working together since December, um, she's just, she's been through injuries. She's been one of the best in the world. And it doesn't, I'm not saying that being an athlete makes you a great coach. It's not always the way. I think Julie is one of those people where she, she is one of the best, coaches and she's just been so I you know not only going through the last few months of with COVID but also kind of I've had a few collarbone issues over the last year and her support through that has just been incredible and I I can't wait to kind of one to get full fitness two for the borders to open and and go back out and just spend time with her because there's just she's just got so much to give and to learn and she really cares about um you as the athlete whoever that is you know because she's got a fantastic squad of ridiculously talented talented uh, athletes um but she just gives gives everyone that attention and so it's been and I think you've got to have that communicate look everyone's different and everyone looks for different things in a coach but for me that communication and support and She's got a killer, wicked, very deadpan sense of humour. Um, and she'll take the piss out of you sort of thing. Um, and everyone else. Yes. Um, That's which, what we need. Yeah, exactly. So I think, yeah, I just, I'm, you know, I'm really grateful um, to have her as my coach now. I wish, you know, I, I, I can't wait to be able to sort of really <laughs> do some good stuff together um, when we can. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It's um, there are a couple of things I want to ask you before I get shot by my <laughs> beautiful friends at Triathlon Magazine Canada. Um, tell me the obviously the the VR series. Anyone who listens to this podcast knows my love for the VR yeah. series. Ah, <laughs> uh, tell me about it. Tell me about your experiences. Is it something that you know? Well, you just do because you've got to keep your hand in it. So I yeah, so I did the Zwift series and I'm actually as we speak I did my 5k run yesterday and I've got the Ironman VR 16 bike tomorrow um Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's my first foray into that that side of things um look I think there's lots of pros and cons it's a love-hate relationship for for sure I think you know I used it as it was a bit of something different to do it was a bit of fun Mm -hmm. you know with there was nothing else particularly happening I was on Zwift anyway training it was a good way to connect with the other women the other women pros mm-hmm. um yep you know you take it with a pinch of salt it's not real life it's gaming um you know and there's a lot of algorithms that go into that and you know it's hard to sometimes separate that because you do get frustrated with it um but <laughs> you know but but I think you have to and you just you just do it it's a good hit out. It's a bit of fun or it can be. Yeah. Um, and you take it for what it is. And I think, you know, I think we all, 
as pro- those who want to do it like and, and it's not for everyone and that is fine and I have no issues with that um you know I was very anti-Zwift and anti-indoor bike riding until I broke my collarbone I was like why would anyone yeah, you, why would yeah. anyone want to do that you know you just ride outside all the time um yeah so it's you know we're grateful that we've they've organized stuff that's kind of given a bit of focus to to athletes if that's what you know if they've not you know because you know some people I'd love to get out on a gravel bike or a mountain bike but it's just not reality for me and where I'm living so having having another focus of doing some stuff like Zwift and you catch up with some of the other pros and you bitch and moan about different things (laughs) um and 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 things like that and then um yeah so it's you know it's kind of you take it with a pinch of salt tongue-in-cheek um it's not real world, but it's what we've got at the moment. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. You're off the hook. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and also the news this week, obviously no one's surprised. Kona's done. Um, yeah. You made a really good, interesting point last uh, earlier in the, in the podcast and, and one that I sort of just filed away. It's, it's not so much that, you know, we talked about the Olympics and how Japan wasn't so thrilled with people coming in. This is the real problem for triathlon. I think is that, Sure, these races are getting cancelled, and maybe in Kona there are a few cases of COVID, etc. But it's the influx of people from around the world who God knows where and how they've interacted, etc. That I think makes local organising committees of races extremely nervous in the fact that, sure, the the race may go on, but it's whether the local community wants that to happen and i'm not convinced at the moment that there are many communities in the world who are going to welcome a whole heck of bunch of tourists on bikes in lycra going hey come to our place yes tourism's up or they need the money the economic structure is where they need it but what are your thoughts on that in terms of that and then i guess also that you know yes kona is uh is not going to happen I mean, especially Kona, half the time you don't think they want us there anyway. Um, I know, like, I get the distinct feeling. There's such, year on year, there's such a feeling of aggression. And now, and now part of that is, I'm going to say broadly, the triathletes themselves, because they arrive on the uh-huh. island. They arrive on the island, they think they own the place, they don't respect the locals. And so, yeah, of course the locals don't want us turning up there. So I think, you know, with Correct. with current circumstances um small communities like that are going to be very wary of bringing in international athletes from all over the world you know even if they put in a a two-week quarantine or a 14 you know the 14-day quarantine that athlete and so you had to prepare to go there early I just think there'd still be a there's such an uncertainty in the world at the moment we just don't know what's going on and I think with some races, you know, like Port Macquarie, um, you do get that. And, and Topor in New Zealand's another one. And, you know, Challenge Roth in Germany. When you go there, you get the feeling that the community loves you being there. You know, the locals want to talk to yeah. you. They welcome you with open arms. Like I remember going into coffee shops and they're like, oh, you're back for another year. It's great to see you again. That kind of thing. Um, some communities you don't get that feeling when you go to a race and you very much it's they don't want you there they don't want triathlon there it's an inconvenience um and yeah like I said again in current circumstances I can imagine whilst a lot of the communities want the tourism um and and need that from an economic standpoint you know they probably don't have the healthcare infrastructure to support if anything did happen and 
it's probably just too hard with all the restrictions at the moment to put things in place. You know, Kona's pretty short on space anyway, down in that transition yeah. area and at the start, I mean, to try and to try and build that in. And also, you know, also with Kona and the way things were going, are going the next few months, we're still having, yes, there is light at the end of the tunnel. There are some races we think that's probably going to happen in Europe over the next month. Mm. Um, doesn't look like anything's going to be happening in America at the moment. And, you know, borders are still restricted for a lot of people. The UK can't get to America. Um, you, uh, and most of Europe can't get into America. You know, Australia and New Zealand can, I think, at the moment. Um, but why would you? But Yeah, there's that as well. But And I just don't think there's going to be the opportunity. I don't think there was going to be the opportunity for enough people to have races leading into the February Kona for people to qualify. So I'm sure they were looking at it. I'm sure they were probably looking at other ways of um, allowing people to enter the race off past results or things like that if there weren't going to be races leading up but you know and it's a shame because I think it was kind of inevitable um that it was probably going to happen I think it is a shame because people I think they would kind of like they like that goal to get them through the uncertainty at the moment and whether you believed it was going to happen or not you kind of had that hope that yes there's a race at that end of the tunnel and there was a date and it was kind of people can focus on that and it's something solid. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think it's totally the right decision. I think let's just, if we can get back to some races towards the end of this year and and if they're even local or regional races only, then that's great. Let's just start getting back and then let's just focus on hopefully the races starting up next year and leading into Kona 2021 and hey it's going to be bigger and bigger and better every every race next year if it happens and when they happen is going to be the best the bigger and better races than any rescheduled and attempted race I think yeah I agree I think this you've just they've done the right thing just cut it out worry about it next year get through this this is far more important things to to get sorted out than than invading local communities with a bunch of uh triathletes that's for sure Laura it's Time flies when you're having fun. We've just clocked lazy 50s oh, plus minutes. Be. Uh, so, so, <laughs> so much trouble with uh, with your <laughs> with Kevin. I know the Canadians. I mean, <laughs> exactly. The Canadians' form of anger, though, is uh, pretty mild. To be fair, so um, I have, I'll get a raised eyebrow. I have them um, if it appeases them. I have relatives in in Canada on Vancouver Island. I love it up there. So. Um, I kind of can claim, maybe claim half being them or a third or an eighth or something. <laughs> it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful it country run by beautiful men like Kevin McKinnon. Um, thanks so much for your time. Really enjoyed it. Um, looking forward to obviously, you know, when life gets back to normal to seeing you uh, flying around again. And uh, thanks for spending a few minutes with us. No, brilliant. Thanks for having me. It's good to good to catch up and chat. Thanks, Phil.